Welcome to Page One or Bust, your ultimate guide to getting on page one of search engines. In this episode, a CEO and director of e-commerce share the secrets behind their go-to-market success and how they grew sales from zero to $2 million in 18 short months. You'll hear from Daniel Dietz and Brian Jarris, the CEO and director of e-commerce at Longevity Labs in the US, as they share how their team mastered aligning content to their customer and generated conversions. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from today's sponsor. Page One or Bust is brought to you by Demand Jump. Get insights, drive outcomes with Demand Jump. Get started creating content that ranks at demandjump.com today. And now, here are your co hosts, Christopher Day and Ryan Brock. Welcome back to Page One or Bust. This is your co host, Christopher Day, the CEO of Demand Jump. As always, I'm joined by my co host, Ryan Brock, the Chief Content Officer at Demand Jump. How are you doing today, Ryan? Yo, doing well. I'm so excited about today's show. We're joined by two very special guests, Daniel Dietz, who goes by Danny. He gave me permission to call him Danny in the show, <laughs> and Brian Juris. Danny and Brian, how are you doing today? Wonderful. Thank you for having us. We're really excited. It's a unique business challenge we've got here. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like it. We like to do this thing where one of us comes in smart and one of us comes in less smart so that I can, <laughs> you know, be the audience stand in and be shocked by what I hear you guys say. But the little I know about your situation and, and your SEO battle has got me really excited to, to learn more about what you guys have been through. Absolutely. We're going to dive deep into their winning strategy and hearing from the unique perspective of not only a category leader, but being the category creator, which I think is really interesting. A lot of companies mm -hmm. are, are being disruptive in their in their individual fields. So I think that's going to be and, interesting for our listeners. And it is the hardest thing in the world to do SEO right when you're the one inventing what you do. It's <laughs> yeah. like the, I've been there. And so mad respect for anyone who's done it well. So true. Joe, let's get started. Danny, tell us how, tell us high level about your journey, how you came to Longevity Labs to be the CEO and, uh, and Brian, we want to hear about your journey. So take it away, Danny. Absolutely. So I have a recovering attorney by trade. After a, a mm. series of a short couple of years practicing law, I realized all I was pushing across the table was a stack of paperwork. And that's not always the most satisfying thing to go home and realize that all you really did is stored on a little data drive and filed in some court. And so I, I took a deep dive into creating things. Worked a little bit in the real estate realm, but primarily surrounding economic and transit-oriented development projects. And that sent me on a wild journey through the startup worlds on all things strange and new. Um, I dove in and worked pretty heavily in the cannabis marketplace for a while, very greenfield yep. space, um, worked in the brewing space for a while. Through those two, I, I became passionate about green technologies, about health, about natural healing, which led me to an introduction to a very unique group of scientists out of Graz, Austria, uh, which is the second largest city in Austria. There was a cell scientist named Frank Medeo out of the University of Graz, Austria, who had found that this unique polyamine, it's a, it's a molecule, it, it's a unique subset of molecules, but uh, it was found in very high amounts in semen, breast milk, and babies. After mm. applying it to human cells and doing a significant amount of research on diets, it was discovered that not only is it in those things, it's in every living tissue, and it declines with age in living tissues. 
And as a result, they realized that, huh, if this has this impact conversely in a correlative level, what if we could create this and put it into some type of intervention or dietary supplement to increase it for those who aren't naturally eating these high organic polyamine rich foods on a regular basis? You mean people don't eat weed germ every day, like everywhere? Because that's my routine. <laughs> what we discovered is if we stuck to this very specific Eastern European wheat germ and treated it through a long and complex process with no solvents. We didn't burn we couldn't burn it off. We couldn't use acids or else it would also deplete. So we had to use a very natural organic process, but we were able to isolate it in high amounts through an Eastern European wheat germ. And a group of business consultants licensed this technology from this professor and started the company Longevity Labs with the intent of bringing these highly nutritious very specific compounds to the market to supplement our diets to presumably extend life and health span. I, I jumped into the fray very early on to establish the North American branch of this company. We've become very closely partnered. We're a subsidiary. We're, we're very closely together. And it was a remarkably unique experience because not only is this thing called spermidine, which is confusing sometimes. Uh, Killer uh, name. It's uh, great. Exactly. It's, 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 it's really unique from a marketing standpoint. But not only that, it's backed by this litany of science coming out of very pedigreed institutions showing its direct association with improvement in life and health span. And nobody was talking about it. Not even the research right. communities in the United States were talking about yep. it. This was very isolated in Europe. And so we were presented with a very unique business challenge of how do we bring a product to market that has an ingredient that nobody's heard of, nobody cares about, and sounds kind of disgusting. And it was a <laughs> remarkably unique business challenge. But what we realized, it was also green space. Brian, how'd you come about? How did you meet Danny or Danny? How'd you meet Brian? And how'd you arrive at the illustrious job of being the e-commerce manager? You know, as Danny mentioned, I got a phone call from a good friend of mine. You know, we were from, from the same town originally. And he said, have you heard of Spermidine before? And so I did what everyone would do. I jumped on Google and there's nothing there. And so yeah, I started to get excited as a marketer because, you know, very rarely do you come across a completely clean slate project, right? There's nothing yep. here. You know, the name is weird enough that it's going to present a challenge. And so then I, yeah, I said, yeah, I'll give this thing a try. I came out of the startup world and then I, you know, went to work for kind of big business for a couple of years. And this kind of seemed like a, a again, an opportunity uh, of a lifetime. And how often do you get to start with a product that no one's ever heard of in the U.S.? And on top of that, you know, when we entered the space, there was not a single competitor, right? And uh, I remember in our early meetings, you know, as we wanted to kind of decide the vendors that we were going to work with, trying to explain to them that we don't have a single competitor, no one could wrap their head around, right? You know, it's because everyone wants to index. It's all about indexing. And, you know, Danny and I, we were constantly explaining that, no, we have to make this market. This is a ground up idea. No one's heard of this. And, yep. you know, look at this a year and a half later, and all of a sudden we have some of kind of the major, you know, thinkers in the U.S. that are starting to discuss spermidine and its importance to longevity and health. That's a perfect segue then into the meat, the meat of the show here and talking about the kind of the pain and the old way of doing things, right? And so many, many B2C companies have historically just relied on pure paid efforts, right? And that used to work much better than it does today as a pure strategy. And so, so you show up, spermidine, and by the way, I apologize, I think I was mispronouncing it earlier, spermidine. So it's spermidine. Um, Goes both and ways. so <laughs> you don't see it anywhere. 
And so talk to us a little bit and we'll just go free flow from here on out. So whoever wants to answer the questions, we'll just have at it. And I love the, I also love the perspective, right? That Danny's going to bring from the CEO perspective and that Brian, you're going to bring from the the operator, the executioner perspective. But maybe many B2C companies think that their brand's the most important thing. And they forget to think about what's my target market, my target buyer. What are they actually thinking about? What are they searching for? What's their pain? The questions they're asking. Let's start off and just lay the foundation with, you know, the old way of doing things, right? And how you thought about it. And when did SEO become on your radar as something critical that we need to think differently about? Especially because those vendors probably did say, okay, if you don't have competitors, then your competitors are just any supplements out there that might come from dubious places in the scientific world, or they might be great, or we don't know, right? So I'd imagine you're first having to compete with people's notion of what a supplement is, and then competing with the notion that, you know, you have no competition. Yeah, I'm fascinated by this. And Ryan, you combine that with an already nascent market of longevity and health span, which is barely becoming mainstream in the US. You see lots of, of venture funding moving into these, these grandiose projects to improve and increase lifespan. Combine that with the regulatory hurdles of working yeah. with something that is not a drug product. It's a remarkably complex and very fun project. One thing we did know what was that when you Googled spermidine, which was our core and our, our first flagship project, there was nothing there. So, so we were able to state that as long as somebody searches it, we should be the ones that show up. We knew yeah. that was step one. From there, we knew that we needed some really highly targeted awareness campaigns. And more and more as marketing moved towards thought leadership and creator content, that creator content would at least pique an interest. But it was our job to collect that interest and to establish that awareness and move it towards conversion. And and the storyline of when somebody finally searched this ingredient on Google became the most important piece of our marketing mix. As long as somebody mentioned the ingredient, not even our brand name. Brian and I like to say that brand only matters if it does, right? Uh, Nobody cares about what your brand name is if they have no context of the background, they have no context of what makes a good product versus a bad product, and they don't even know your value proposition. So the first step was, who cares about brand? We need this ingredient to be important to people. As long as we're capturing that interest from creator campaigns, which is where we invested the majority of our marketing dollars at the early stage, and led that towards a Google search of our ingredient, we had started that marketing funnel. And that's really the approach we decided to take. So what we knew were two very critical pillars of this was we needed to establish the awareness in a very greenfield space with a very interesting sounding name, knowing that we can only say so much because there's health claim associations and number of different regulatory hurdles to get through. And the second piece was once they were on Google, we needed to be the first ones to show up. And that really led us to discussing SEO as a core primary component of our marketing mix very early on in this. So in the SEO world, we talk about search intent, right? And and how the product name, that signals a very uh, ready to buy search intent. Is that to this day, the only real intent that you're worried about? Or are you also looking into like challenges people are trying to solve, pain questions that people have? Like what is the scope of the intent that you're trying to reach with your SEO platform? 
it's it's a combination of the two. Of course, branded keywords are always going to be you know money makers, and and we're grateful to have them, and definitely have a brand that contains this fermenting in it, which is is kind of crucial for our success. But you know, taking that a step further, you know, we have indications, right? So as you said, the indications are as important as our branded term at this point. You know, and and I wanted to go back and touch on what Danny was talking about earlier is that it's a combination of targeted ads, especially when you're first starting out and um, building a brand awareness. But one of the issues that you run into if you're the first person to go to market with a product is that there's this huge missing consumer education piece, right? right? So, you know, it's not like we're selling soap, for example, where someone clearly understands the benefit of why you'd use soap to clean something, right? It's like, oh, okay, it's a disinfected, you know, you know, right. Well, and if I was a marketer and I was being asked to like rank for soap, I would be able to find great questions people are asking about, do the ingredients matter? Or like, is, is organic better than not? Or should I get gel? Or a bar like there's so many obvious questions that the market hasn't even thought of asking yet for you yeah exactly and and that's that was kind of step one is what do you write about and so what we realize is that an ad has no value to you unless you're putting them on a landing page that's truly explaining what your product is so when we looked at how are we going to bring it to market it's this omni-channel approach right so yes seo is important but also video content's important. The ads Absolutely. are important. And it's this, it's a content first strategy because if we're not educating the, the consumer, they're never going to see the value of the product that we're bringing them to market because their friends aren't talking about it. You know, they're not seeing it on TV, you know, in, in a natural sense. So that was, again, I want to re- reiterate the importance of when you're establishing a market, you have to create all the content in the beginning. Now, you know, fortunately, you know, fast forward to today, we've been able to- How long ago was that? If we're fast forwarding, how much time? Uh, Let's see. We have been live in the US for about two years, right, Danny? It's two years, almost exactly. A blink of an eye. Yeah, probably so much (laughs) progress has been made, I hope. Yeah, yeah. When we talk about progress, though, I think it's kind of remarkable and hats off to our team is that to go from having nothing written, again, a clean slate website in a totally new market to, I believe we have over 350 blog articles as of today. So when you kind of do the math on that, it averages out to multiple blog articles per week, you know, and it's not, but as you're going to hear us talk about this later uh, on, on this podcast is that it's not so much about creating content, but it's about creating valuable content, right? That yes. is answering a particular question. And that's what Google's going to reward in, in the long term. But, you know, it's been, it's, there was definitely a time, you know, an awareness time that, what would you say, Danny? I mean, to go from no one ever hearing about spermidine in the U.S. to it being starting to permeate the market probably took about six, seven months. At the very least. But that's another important aspect of it. You mentioned time. We were looking at a Google search that yielded no useful content. We knew that at some point, given the critical and compelling nature of these scientific studies, there would be content there. So when we initially began this project, we realized we did not have forever to sit around and let that content build. We had to, you know, my background's real estate. It was an empty lot at a very busy intersection. And the faster we got our hands on that land and started building that building, the more likely we were to be there in the buyer's eye when they decided that they were interested in this. And so one of the most critical aspects was how do we build that organic content and search capacity as quickly as possible. And so we invested very heavily in building that building on that intersection from the get-go, knowing that it would take months and months to have any yield. It was a very important capital investment for us early on. Well, what makes it different from the other marketing channels you're, you're 
employing is that it, once you have that asset, it doesn't matter how people find their exactly. way to it. So you're going to do some of the heavy lifting with your paid ads, teaching people what spermidine is, but somebody else could go out there and teach them what it is now. But at the point is you're going to be there when they go looking for it. Right. That's great. Exactly. So, so as you deploy this strategy and I, I love some of the things you just said, by the way, like the, the regulatory environment, right? There's some things that you can say, and there's other things you can't say. And, and there's fortune 500 companies out there that have all kinds of brands in the market that that don't write anything because of quote unquote regulatory you know regulatory issues but there's all kinds of things that you can write about right that that don't make any claims that you can't make from a regulatory standpoint so i, I love that that the boldness because it's kind of surprising actually even very large companies are just paralyzed and do nothing versus figuring out what they can do well so they've got a lawyer start- as their ceo of the the usa <laughs> yeah. division so he's probably helping Super keep them straight yeah. <laughs> well, tough and right. We had to determine what can we become thought yeah. leaders in. And so we realized yeah. that not only was this ingredient nascent, but the entire understanding of how nutrition impacts health span. We needed to become yes. thought leaders that gave useful content within the context that met the buyer where they were at that time. And if that was discussing what are the benefits of intermittent fasting, it is relevant to our product in so much as it works to establish some metabolic processes that perhaps our product also has implications on. But these are loosely connected educational content pieces that demonstrate strategies that have been well-researched to improve health span. And so we had to take a very green space approach, not only with our ingredient name, but also with our consumer understanding not all of them understood in full detail the importance of some of the things that our nutritional product did. This is what I was most interested in hearing about. Like, where did you arrive at those? Like, we, we call them redirect topics. Like, where we know what people are thinking about. We know if they're thinking about these things, they're likely to actually be interested in what we have to say. So it's a matter of both fulfilling the promise of this article that's actually going to talk about the benefits of intermittent fasting, but then also doing so in a way that makes them comfortable with your name and your product and all that. So are, are there pain-related questions like like that? that are starting to come up as relevant keywords to target around spermidine specifically? Are people starting to ask about the benefits of it and the formats of it and how to use it and and blah, blah, blah? The answer is yes. So we've seen a remarkable uptick in traffic. We've seen competitors enter the space that are also bringing relevant content with that space too. Our ability to start to understand what the consumer cares about has become much clearer. That being said, when we began, it was not. Brian and I had a very interesting whiteboard session where we had to sit back and realize this is working at a cellular level on health span. That is about the broadest topic you could be presented with, right? Mm -hmm. And so our challenge was, where were the consumers? What were they reading about? What were they interested in? And so we actually set up a very unique eight pillar strategy of trying to figure out, and we ran eight separate funnels, what content led consumers? When were they converting? At what stage were they converting? What were the indications they were most interested in? And and really try and dive into who are our customers? What do they care about? And what's the highest, most efficient keywords for us to target to get there? What are those questions? Um, and that process took some time. So you deployed a pillar strategy, sure. right? Which is a, a newer kind of, a, I call it modern marketing. At the core, is it SEO and content? Yes. But the approach is entirely different, right? When you think about pillars. And so how did you come to figure out what those pillars were? How did you deploy them? 
And then what did you see as the results, right? How did it impact your business? Yeah, this is a great question. And I hats off to Danny because, you know, we're sitting there brainstorming and trying to understand what are the key interests, at least, you know, associated with the longevity space that we can start to build. You know, we call them tracks internally because if you think about it, there's also a level of marketing that goes above just like a pillar content strategy, right? We have um, an ad funnel that's also feeding into that pillar content strategy. We used Google, uh, a number of Google surveys to come up with what we kind of thought was the preliminary tracks. And then we developed those into eight different tracks and we developed content for each one of those tracks. So, you know, when we look at what the ad strategy was, it was uh, content driven ads. And mm -hmm. then from there, you know, in terms of measurement tools, we went through and we looked at kind of proxy metrics, right? So which track was getting us email addresses and how much were we paying for those email addresses? And then what tracks were leading to conversions down the line? But, you know, it was really always based around a uh, you know, test and implement idea, right? So we wanted to test. We didn't want to spend all of our money in kind of some, some you know, in a particular area that we thought, oh, you know, this has to, it has to work. No, we test everything. And you're going to see that kind of consistent throughout this conversation is that everything has been tested. So that when we come back and we say, okay, here's our top three performing tracks, and also where should we develop more content in terms of a pillar content strategy? And we can go more into depth in that later. I'm not sure how educated the group listening here is, but you know, again, look up pillar content. But you know, all of this was important for us to figure out how to kind of place our resources going forward. If you look at the product development line today, it is reflective of the tracks that are working. And so, you know, it's a full circle. We're learning. We're taking our learnings in the marketing and conversion space and directly applying that to product development and then bring the products that work into the market for the future. I think businesses need to be, you know, you have to listen more than you talk, right? So we listen to our consumer. In fact, you know, Danny implemented a, it's a kind of crazy strategy. And Danny said, I want to talk to every single one of our, our customers that we get. And so we are probably the only business that I'm aware of that we call every single customer that we get. We have a five to 10 minute phone call and we just wanna know who they are, where they came from, if they have any questions to start to build that brand goodwill. But on top of that, you know, that's the best piece of data that we're getting to determine what the future product development is. And, and you know, even kind of what we've pioneered in the US here is now going back to our, our parent company, Austria, and they're implementing our findings. And now if you kind of look at in terms of product development pipeline, we're much further ahead than we ever have been. You know, it's not just a number of heads sitting around a table saying, okay, what's the next product we should make? It's very clear what the next product we should make. We have, you know, with direct data and we also have conversion data to back it up based upon tracks and then also where we're ranking, right? So even though the, the consumer might demand a particular product in, in, a, in an area, you know, if we own the SEO around a particular product segment, of course, we're going to bring a product to market, you know? So I think it's synergistic in, in many ways that, you know, you can't have one without the other. This is, we've been talking a lot about what we're calling pillar-based marketing, you know, the pillar content strategy has been the way to refer to like that particular thing of pillars and subpillars and interlinking and blah, 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 blah. But what you said about there being other channels above, beyond, around that, we're starting to realize that what you're saying is happening at so many other businesses and organizations where it's, 
if you're aligned to that page one mentality of like, we need to be where our customers are. And that's the thing that drives everything else. It does start to have an impact, not just on your content, not just on SEO, but on your paid strategies and on your your programmatic strategies and on your go-to-market strategies and the whole nine yards. And man, it's such a perfect case study in, in the power of aligning to your customer. You know, I would love the opportunity to share a little bit about what we have learned. So we implemented these eight tracks and, and we realized that uh, a couple of these tracks are a little more general in nature. If somebody searches longevity, what do they get? What are the interesting content pieces around that? And, and then also very narrow, spermidine helps upregulate a metabolic process called autophagy. Autophagy is the ultimate step in fasting, right? You start fasting, your insulin response slows, you begin ketosis. Keto has become a, a remarkably you know, uh, high search term with lots of interest. But there's another step to that. And that other step is autophagy. That's the last step Self in the eating, chain there. Right? Exactly. Eating of yourself. Yep. And, and, and what we realize is that mm. longevity got the most hits, right? But autophagy was the converting term. And so it's a much smaller subset, but these were very high converting consumers. They wanted to know about how to upregulate autophagy. So we realized that instead of taking this very broad approach of how to become longevity thought leaders, we needed to narrow down on those high converting, highly interested consumers, those searching autophagy, and then start to establish and move beyond that into lookalike audiences. So it became how do we start with our highest converting groups and then move into lookalikes beyond that? What are they looking at? That's the importance of these things like customer surveys. Who are these people hearing from? What do they care about beyond that? What do they expect from this? And as we began to get these surveys, we realized people are listening to these thought leaders. They're following um, these very specific groups They're, and have very specific interests, very specific intentions. And we have started to able to establish these lookalike audiences that allowed us to narrow in our search in there. So, so yeah. not only were we establishing some level of thought leadership around a very general space, longevity, that got us emails, that got us eyeballs, right? But it wasn't getting us conversions. It was autophagy. It was the metabolic process itself that was getting us conversions. And that's really where we started to establish our bedrock of revenue. I mean, that, that was a long process. We built our building, right? We were on page one. Great. It didn't take long. Not a surprise. There was hardly any content within the space, <laughs> right? It's particularly around our ingredient. But the importance was how did we start to establish the importance of this ingredient within these subsets of larger search terms that people cared about? Well, yep. what we knew was people who searched autophagy liked our product. People who searched autophagy also cared about fasting. So we began to move a lot of our content into Fasting practices, what are safe ways to practice fasting? What do you expect through fasting? Where do you read? Where do you find more information on fasting? What are the different types of intermittent fasting? And that's really where we began to establish that second lookalike audience that knew where they, what they wanted out of fasting, but didn't know what it was called yet. And, you know, Tofi had asked about results. Um, it was a very interesting, it, most, one of the more unique situations I've had. In one month, we had a total monthly revenues, and this was early on, of $18,000. Not a very satisfying thing from a CEO. The following month, we had revenues over $450,000. Within 30-day wow. period, we experienced Boom. such an influx of growth that we realized we had hit something. And so wow. then we began to establish even deeper look-like audiences to help keep that train on board and further that. And it's been, it's been remarkably successful through that process. We've seen competitors move in this space, recognizing the interest, but we were prepared to accept that inbound trap. So that is amazing. So from 18,000 to 450,000 in 30 days, and, and, and I'm going to probably oversimplify this, but at the core, it's caring more about your 
audience, your target buyer, and what they feel and think and are curious about, have pain with, et cetera, and aligning to that as a go-to-market strategy versus just here's permitting and you should buy it. We let our customers tell us why they cared about it and why they bought it. Yeah. We yeah, speak their it. language. You know, that's the other yeah, key. Speak here. their language. I'll let, we exactly speak right. their language. Yeah. And no, no amount of cleverness in a boardroom could have guessed that fasting would be the way to go, right? You have to test that and you have to see what the data says. And that's the most mind-blowing part of all of this is, is just letting people tell you what they want. It's, it's that simple. And the, the, the other great part that's, you know, really unique and I think was scary for our team is that fasting and autophagy, obviously they overlap and our product is, falls in that same category. But, you know, when you talk with in a boardroom full of C-level executives, it's kind of hard to pitch this idea to say, oh, no, no, we're going to position our product against something that's free, right? Fasting is free. Fasting is not eating. But what we realize is fasting is hard. Yes. And, you know, and and that's where experimenting has this really unique position that you can get a lot of the same benefits that you would get from fasting by taking spermidine without having to go through the hardship. Now, we're still a huge fan of fasting. You know, you hear us say this all the time. Like, we want everyone to be healthier and live the healthiest life they can, and fasting's part of that. But if that doesn't work for you, you're looking for an alternative, then absolutely, like, we have a product that might fit your needs. So, Brian, I love that. So when you speak the language of your customer, what happens? You build digital trust. trust. And there's been all kinds of surveys out there where – Consumer trust, d- digital trust has evaporated and it is down in the 30s and 40% for all things digital. And in certain industries, it's even lower than that. And so by by aligning and speaking the way the customer speaks, when you're talking about things like fasting, you're building immediate digital trust. And that that is an appreciating asset. You know, as Danny said, we made a significant investment in customer retention and and it truly pays off. You know, between phone calls, providing accurate information, and then also our team sends out handwritten cards every now and then to make sure that people know that we're human. Because that is a crucial component to our brand, especially the supplement industry. And, you know, again, this is one of those really surprising statistics that no one believes us on, but it's true. It's our customer retention rate is is close to 80% for subscription. It's because, you know, when we do get one of those, any customer, all customers are important to us. That, that we want to keep them. We want them to join our family. And, you know, the way that we often hear, you hear us talk about, you know, customers inside of the, the company is like, you know, we'll refer to someone on a first name basis because, again, we treat them as humans. We want them to look at us as human. Yes, there's a digital interface in between us, but that doesn't change the way that we act or interact with people. That's amazing. 80% in B2C in the space you're in. That's amazing. We have literally changed our product four times since gaining feedback from customers. Um, we have a threshold. If, if there's a report of more than one of anything, it comes to my desk and it's reviewed by our manufacturing team. And if we believe that we agree with the consumer, we change it. And, and that is a remarkably challenging thing to convince a, a manufacturing group that, that the way they're doing it is not meeting customer need. But that's the importance of us speaking with every one of our customers. So we have changed our product literally four times in 24 months to address consumer needs as soon as they arise. Um, and I'm, I'm really proud of that. fact. So. Oh, yeah, that's amazing. All right. Well, these, these questions are for uh, either or both of you. We'll rock through them. Just a few high-level ones before we wrap up. So any marking myths that you used to believe 
that you no longer believe? So any, any marketing myths busted along the way of your journey? Technical SEO, I think, is a myth. Uh, you need to just deliver oh. the best content and answer the right questions. Uh, you know, take all the BS of you know blog post length and word count and all of this other stuff. And, keyword and just, density. Keyword density. Like, yeah. Gag me with the spoon, man. You're. So, oh, I love you, Brian. <laughs> yeah. Now, again, I do think that there are some elements of technical SEO you need to pay attention to. You know, do pay attention to you know page load speed because that affects the user experience. So when it comes down to user yep. experience, pay attention to it. But when, if you're going to alter the quality of your content to try to make it, you know, fit more into what someone's telling you in the Google sphere of influence, no, just make the best possible content you can and people will thank you for it and you'll get customers in the long run. Sometimes yeah, in this space, it's it. easy to feel like you don't know what you're talking about, but you're just saying what you want to believe. And so I find myself saying very similar things to what you just said. So whenever we have someone come on and say that, and like, it just makes me feel like, I don't feel like I can go Google this stuff and be edified, right? Like I need to talk to people like you and other marketers who are living it every day. So you heard well, it I, here. I can conclusively tell you that there's really no difference between a uh, 600 word blog article and a 2000 word blog, ar blog article that was really structured. If anything, I would say it's probably the opposite. You know, the kind of more condensed straight to the point content uh, across multiple pages is probably going to be in your benefit, uh, quite honestly. Danny, what keeps you up at night? Always uncertainty. I don't believe that applies directly to this any differently than it does another business that's under management. But not knowing is the challenge. And, and it's not so unspecific. I mean, it's not knowing some specific things. This is a brand new marketplace. At any point, it can be full of disruption and new information. We've seen it happen multiple times. But if we continue to deliver honest information, and we continue to be entirely transparent with the process and everything that we've used to develop our products and to respond to customer inquiries, we will be wherever the customer is whenever that information arises. All right. Well, last question and we'll wrap it up. What are the top three go-to-market, you know, sales or marketing tools that you can't live without? Sure. I'll take it. <laughs> I, I live in the, I live and breathe this every day. Uh, you know, one is going to be Upwork. I think you're crazy to think if you can do everything yourself. Also want to point out the man jump now has a content team that you can outsource content to. So Props to you for also seeing the future on that. You know, the second one is, this one's for the small businesses out there. Check out a site called AppSumo. They will open your ideas as to what the possibilities in terms of marketing automation or just kind of what's mm -hmm. out there and get you started, right? So that you can appreciate when you do have a good tool. And uh, third is going to be the good tool of, of Demand Jump. You know, it does lead our content strategy. It is the core staple of what we're generating and you know for us to create 320 blogs in a span of uh, less than two years uh, you know you can do keyword research on your own but it definitely helps to have a team behind you and and a simple tool amazing well all right thank you to everyone for listening to today's podcast danny and brian wow thank you for sharing your story it is Super an amazing engaging. product yeah. experimenting is an amazing product and what has gone behind that and then building that digital trust with your customers the bridges you've built speaking their language. I, I love it. That is true modern marketing right there on display. So with that, until next time on page one or bust, thank you very much. Thanks everybody. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Page one or bust is brought to you by Demand Jump. 
Know the exact content to create to increase first page rankings and drive outcomes with Demand Jump. Get started for free today at demandjump.com.